Hey, John, how are you doing? Good, Steve. Thanks for having me on. My pleasure entirely. Maybe you could just tell our uh, viewers and listeners uh, what it is you do, what keeps you busy. Sure. Well, I work as a psychotherapist for my day job, and uh, on the side, I write books and films. And uh, the, you know, been lucky to get my books published by um, other publishers, Trine Day Press, and um, by Microcosm Publishing. And the first book was Drugs as Weapons Against Us, The CIA War on Musicians and Activists. And the second book was The FBI War on Tupac Shakur, State Repression of Black Leaders. And uh, so I decided to turn those books into films and then produce a third film myself. Um, and so, yeah, that's that's basically what, uh, and Drugs as Weapons is largely about Tupac Shakur and the Black Panthers. And of course, the FBI War on Tupac Shakur is, is mostly about the Tupac Shakur, the Black Panthers, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, and others. This is great. And uh, I'm really looking forward to speaking about this with you because I, I, it's, um, it's going to be an education for me. I don't know if you know this, John. It's not immediately clear, given my charismatic demeanor, but I'm not cool enough to be a Tupac fan. Not, I'm not well-versed in the old hippity-hop, unfortunately. But I am aware of his death as well, his, his murder, rather. It's, became, it's become, you know, legend. It's become the focus of many conspiracy theories over the year. And we've had some, you know, massive... Um, uh developments on this in, in the last in the last few months as well so i mean maybe you could just uh, for those people who don't know give us a, a brief primer of who tupac was sure. and you know what's the the official story of the, the night of his uh his killing in vegas sure so well he was born into a family of black panther leaders his mother Fanny shakura was one time leader of the harlem black black panthers his biological father was a new jersey black panther and his stepfather, uh, Matulu Shakur, was a, uh, an acupuncturist who started um, acupuncture for drug detoxing and in the Bronx. And it was uh, incredible. It was you know, a great uh, new development for addictions in the country. And um, he helped spread that use of acupuncture for addictions throughout the country. He also was a co-founding member of the uh, Republic of New Africa, which was founded at Aretha Franklin's father's church in Detroit. It brought together organizers from all over the country. And that group was in solidarity with the Black Panthers and uh, just, you know, had different strategies and tactics, but was, was similar to the Black Panthers in other ways in their, you know, in their goals. And um, so he just came from this radical leftist family that, uh, you know, and so when he was growing up, he was an intellectual. His mother made him read, you know, punished him by being, making him read the New York Times cover to cover. Um, when, uh, by the time he was 16, 17 years old, actually he was 17 years old when he was the youngest elected leader of a new group called the New African Panthers. And, uh, that, that group was trying to replicate the Black Panthers. And this was in, um, the 19, you know, late 1980s. And uh, so he was already a national black leader before he became a rapper. He was already an activist. And so a, a uh, FBI um, whistleblower named Wes Swearingen wrote a memoir about being part of the group called the Counterintelligence Program that targeted, murderously targeted the Black Panthers. And he said that um, when activists, you know, raided an FBI office and stole all the files and exposed the FBI's counterintelligence program, 
and their war on leftists in general, anti-war activists, as well as you know, black uh, civil rights activists like the Panthers, um, they were forced to close it down, but they continued under the same thing under different names. And so, um, and he said that the, the at COINTELPRO, they call it counterintelligence program, I'm sure they call it COINTELPRO, COINTELPRO continued to lease until the mid 1990s, he said. And that's when, of course, Tupac was murdered or assassinated, you could say. So um, Tupac only uh, at some point after around the time of his first album, he decided with his imprisoned activist stepfather, Matulu Shakur, to kind of change tactics and only and pretend to be a gangster in order to appeal to gangs and politicize them. Because really he was a, a, an intellectual who rewrote Shakespeare into modern language starred in it, produced it in high school, um, just a brilliant young man. Um, and so that's why he was, he could write so many songs so easily and, you know, put out the loads of, of albums worth of materials before he died at the age of 25 and also publish a book of poetry and star in six movies and, you know, uh, just write so much, write, write a screenplay, etc. Um, so, by the time he broke into activism, he was targeted. I, I show in my books and films that he was targeted by the police, at least murderously targeted at least three times before he was actually murdered. And um, so he had this thug life plan, and that's what they called it, uh, to pretend to be a gangster in order to appeal to gangs and politicize them. And this was part of his extended Black Panther families plan that was succeeding in calling the getting the bloods and the crips gangs in los angeles to call peace truces and stop fighting for drug turf and fighting each other and starting to fight racism in general and fight you know and, and turn into activism turn on to act activism and so that was spreading throughout california and then spread throughout the country with the help of other uh, activists, um, a number of black activists were involved in that spread, including like Harry Belafonte and, and others. Um, but Tupac was, was key to that because he would hold gang peace truce picnics and different other events and get these you know, Bloods and Crips leaders to call peace truces. And because he was beloved by the younger generation for his rap and his, his you know, acting in films, etc., and so that was, you know, the hidden kind of Tupac that people don't know as much about. Um, but I talked to his uh, business manager, Watani Tayahimba, was a longtime mentor, a former Black Panther from Los Angeles. And I talked to his national lawyer, Chokwe Lamumba, who was head of a group called the New African People's Organization, um, and others, you know, close to Tupac to get this information. And, um, and so, you know, at the time of his death, he... Um, had basically had tried to sober up. He tried to get away from weed and alcohol and was engaged to be married to Kadiata Jones, Quincy Jones's daughter. Um, Death Row Records, his record label, though, was highly suspect. And uh, he was trying to leave Death Row Records and start his own Death Row, you know, his own record label, but his own film production company, et cetera. He'd already started them, actually. And uh, but before he could leave, um, they held an event. Um, you know, they held a party before a Mike Tyson fight in Las Vegas. Um, they got him drunk and stoned and he didn't want to do that, but he ended up succumbing to the environment of the party, got drunk and stoned. And that way they were more easy. It was more easily to manipulate him when, uh, a guy kind of, they came upon a guy in a hotel lobby right after the Mike Tyson fight 
who someone said, oh, he, you know, he snatched a, a necklace off my neck and uh, threatened me. And so he, he got Tupac to get involved in a little scuffle with this guy named Orlando Anderson. Um, filmmaker Nick Broomfield said that he thinks that Orlando Anderson, from all his investigation and his, his film, Biggie and Tupac, he thinks Orlando Anderson was not a gang member, but was just paid a lot of money to uh, take, take a beating in, you know, in that hotel lobby. And then uh, after that, he didn't press any charges. He didn't, he didn't do anything about it. He acted like he wasn't phased at all. And but he did come into a lot of money right after that scuffle. And so, um, so that happened. And then later, you know, of course, Tupac was shot um, in Las Vegas in a drive-by shooting that the uh, leading police investigator Russell Poole said was a uh, done by professional hitmen. And they must have used, he thought uh, they used police radios because it was such a professional hit. And he says he came out and told Nick Broomfield that he believes his fellow officers um, killed Tupac Shakur in order to, uh, because, you know, and he didn't know why, but he, he knew that they, he thought they did. And they ended up killing Biggie Smalls in order to cover up their murder of Tupac. And um, so he had investigated this for a while. And when he found dozens of his fellow police officers at all level of death row records, he went to his superiors and he said, what are they doing there? And superiors uh, thought that they can trust him because he was a white high level police detective. And they said, well, you can call them troubleshooters or covert agents were their exact words. And um, covert agents, you know, of course, is means that U.S. intelligence were involved. And uh, so highly likely that U.S. intelligence, um, you know, murdered Tupac or assassinated Tupac for because of his activism, because his is is getting the Bloods and Crips to call peace juices and turn on to activism also got them away. Many, many gang members away from drug dealing. And that that uh, affected millions, if not billions of dollars of uh, the drug traffickers money because they're the street level drug dealers, the gangs. And uh, so. That was a major, you know, problem with his activism besides just his, you know, New African Panther leadership. Okay, well, there's a lot there to, to unpack, and I really want to get into the specifics of um, who you thought murdered him. But I mean, you said something really interesting at, at the start of the conversation that I, I, I wasn't familiar with, and this is like this idea that there had already been three violent attempts on his life by the police. At least three, yeah. And uh, can uh, can you describe those? Do you have the them in your head? With, yeah, you know, what sure. happened? Yeah. Um, well, the first one was when he first came out with a, a solo, you know, um, album with um, a major label, and it was his political song "Trapped" started getting played on MTV worldwide. And um, within three days of it coming out, police stopped him supposedly for jaywalking, but they proceeded to choke him unconscious and smash his head against a curb. And I show. Um, I showed articles in my film and told about my book about people dying in police custody from that. And then there was uh, police watching passively as strangers uh, punched Tupac for no reason when he was an honorary guest at the 50th annual um, 50th anniversary of the uh, Rin Fest, a music, big music fest and neighborhood festival, um, and then shot at him in front of the police. And the police didn't arrest the people that shot at Tupac for no reason. They merely arrested Tupac and his um, his brother, uh, uh, sorry, Mo Prem Shakur, and then there was a um, incident in Atlanta where allegedly off-duty police officers 
um, two brothers, two white Atlanta police officers, um, rushed over to Tupac's car right after uh, he was leaving a concert, smashed his window, shot at him for no reason. Tupac merely rolled out the back of his car, grabbed a security guard's gun, and shot back in self-defense. Now, that started to go into court, the courtroom, where it was found out that these uh, police officers um, were carrying a gun that they stole from an evidence locker um, to shoot at Tupac. They, uh, they stopped that court hearing, and it didn't even go, go to trial. So Tupac was let off completely because it was a botched, I argue, because it was a botched assassination attempt. Then there was a situation where Tupac was shot um, and uh, in a recording studio lobby in New York City um, right at the end of a trial. And he went down to the ground and then he was shot twice in the back of the skull and the bullets came out the front of his skull, according to the doc- doctor's affidavit, which I have. Um, and showed show in the first version of my book, I showed in my film. And... Um, that was, you know, another uh, assassination attempt. Um, and police, the same police, basically police showed up immediately at the scene. It, the, the kind of supposed mugging happened in the, the, the lightest area. It happened at 11 p.m. at night in the brightest area of the world. It was Times Square, New York City. That's where that um, recording studio was. And so, um, of course, then the final uh, murder was in Las Vegas with a supposed drive-by shooting. And of course, and so they shot Tupac and uh, right behind Tupac where the bullets were coming from was Suge Knight and uh, they didn't hit Suge Knight at all. Now, recent, there was a recent arrest, though, was of a guy who said, well, I was in the car where the bullets came from. It was my nephew, Orlando Anderson, the guy that took the beating and you know, was involved in the scuffle in, in the hotel lobby. Um, he's the one that pulled the trigger. So this guy... Uh, Dwayne Keefe D. Davis says this. He's arrested just within the past month or so. And but he had said this about eight or 10 years ago for a guy named Greg Kading, a police officer. Now, Russell Poole, who I told you was the original investigating police officer, he said Greg Kading was brought out about 10 years after his investigation to basically discredit his investigation because when Russell Poole tried to come out with the fact that he found his fellow police officers were involved in Tupac Shakur's murder, they demoted him and then they, they silenced him and he had to uh, resign from the police force to come out with his findings, which Nick Broomfield covered in his documentaries and uh, Randall's veteran reporter Nick Randall Sullivan covered in a book called Labyrinth. Um, and so he, Russell Poole ends up saying that Greg Kading was a disgraced police officer brought out, you know, who was caught lying in court, forced to resign early. And they brought him out of retirement in order to uh, just cover up his own findings. And that Greg Kading never talked to Russell Poole at all. And Greg Kading said it was this Dwayne Keefe D. Davis drove the car, was the mastermind of the murder of Tupac. His nephew actually pulled the trigger. And meanwhile, um, you know, uh, it was found out that Dwayne, you know, Keefe D. Davis was given uh, was one tr- was supposed to go on trial for a, yeah and was supposed to receive a life in prison for drug dealing, but when he gave this confession of being behind Tupac's murder, he was completely let off the drug deal that would have could have landed him in prison for life. You know the drug dealing charge, and he was never prosecuted for uh, the murder of Tupac either for years. We're talking about for about eight or ten years, and so. Um, he obviously gave a confession just to get out of going to prison for another for drug dealing, and um, 
it was also found that this great Keating was caught lying when he said that uh, some of the most corrupt police that, that were, you know, convicted of all kinds of char corruption charges, um, they were actually working for death row records. He said they were never working for death row records and his police chief uh, said they were, they were certainly working for death row records. So um, this is a, some of the evidence that it's, you know, this is a bogus arrest charge of the, with who's the guy who's supposed to be involved in Tupac's murder, you know, and that's, that's where we're at. All right. Well, there's obviously a very detailed answer there, John. So thank you for that. But if anyone's got any uh, questions for John about the, the murder of Tupac, any wild conspiracy theories that you'd want clearing up, put them in the chat and I will pick out the best ones. Uh, so John, it, it seems that you, obviously you lean in the camp of uh, Tupac was considered a, maybe a threat to the, the, the state's quo or the, you know, the state, in general because of his activism and his work and it became necessary you know to take that piece off the board uh to put it to put it bluntly and um i mean it's, it's certainly possible uh, as well but i suppose given his prominence uh, you know his wealth the, his infamy the fact that he was vocal about you know gangs and, and things like that could that legitimately have just produced a, a kind of heat that would have made something like this inevitable anyway yeah no i i don't think um this it would have been inevitable for police to be involved in so many attacks on him just um, randomly because there were so many attacks that were completely covered up. And so it takes, you know, they, there was a uh, undercover agent involved in setting up a sexual assault charge on Tupac. Also, um, this guy was found to have dozens and dozens of, uh, you know, major charges all dismissed, which um, top lawyer said was a sure sign of a government intelligence agent. Um, it's only, kind of person that can get major charges up and down the East Coast dismissed. And this is a guy named Haitian Jacques Ignan. And so Tupac, you know, ended up realizing he was, he was an undercover agent and said he was working for the feds in a, in a song of his, a rap of his. And he said he set me up and wet me up because he thinks he was involved in setting up one of the shootings of him. And then, you know, um, setting up the, you know, sexual assault charge that, that he was, um, eventually actually found uh, not guilty of all major charges ex except touching a woman's butt against her will who he had, who had you know admitted that she had consensual sex with him and that's and he got one and a half to four and a half years in jail for touching a woman's butt who had, they had consensual sex and so it's you know these bizarre kind of charges and other you know uh, actions that show you know uh, government involvement you know much more than just random and you know, like random heat you know, this is there's loads of details over a thousand endnotes in my books about, you know, uh, from all the evidence, including government documents, uh, court documents, um, some FBI documents, et cetera, that just, you know, show the evidence of everything I'm saying here. OK, um, in regards to Dwayne Davis, then, I mean, why why has it taken so long to arrest this chap i mean have they arrested him solely on the strength of a confession like you said earlier or do, are there other bits of evidence that they finally pieced together to be able to charge him yeah well i think it's um i mean he said outright that he he was involved he he was in the car that uh you know driving his nephew who he says killed tupac uh, then he also said, though, in an interview that his nephew went to the emergency room after the scuffle in the hotel room 
I mean, the, sorry, the hotel lobby where it happened. And within two hours of supposedly going to the emergency room, he then is in a car. And he says, and he had his arm in a sling. His right arm was in a sling, he said. And so he's supposed to have a right arm in a sling. And then supposedly, you know, is uh, a perfect, you know, shooter to kill Tupac in a drive-by shooting. And so it's just his his statements are full of ridiculous, you know, contradictions. They they don't hold any weight because there's no physical evidence backing what he said. He said that Puffy, uh, another major producer and rapper now called P Diddy, uh, I gave him a billion dollars to to carry out this hit, and that's um, another fantastical statement that's that's you know just supported by by very little um, evidence. And uh, most people don't believe that. And um, so, no, I don't believe that um, P. Diddy had a hand in both Tupac and Biggie's deaths. I think um, I think P. Diddy wasn't political, and that was a big difference. But when he, when P. Diddy started getting political um, a couple of years later by getting involved in a group called the Hip Hop Summit Action Network, P. Diddy got, got targeted himself. Um, a government informant shot at P. Diddy for no reason. Um, one of P. Diddy's um, rappers, Shine, when his label um, shot back in self-defense, Shine went to prison for that. Uh, they tried to pin a uh, gun possession charge on P. Diddy. They, uh, when I was in New York, living in New York City, the local news said that the government spent the most money ever on a gun possession charge to try to to gain evidence on p diddy and they couldn't they couldn't you know find the evidence to support that he was just you know should be found guilty for gun possession and so he didn't go to jail but um there was obvious warning to him to stop being getting active stop getting active in politics get out of the hip-hop something action network because most of the uh rappers that got involved in hip-hop something action network some of which just weren't political before that. Most of them were targeted in various ways. So this even goes, you know, goes beyond just targeting Tupac. Casabes followed up with, uh, there were four of them in the car. Do you, do you happen to know if this is correct? And if so, who, who are we missing here? Yeah, well, I you know I argue that this whole theme, this whole idea that these uh, gangbangers in the car pulled off the assassination, you know, the assassination of Tupac Shakur is all illegitimate. Uh, Russell Poole said it was professional hitmen. Uh, likely, he said, his, he says his fellow police officers were likely in the car. If not, then they they had um, professional covert agents that did this for U.S. And, you know, basically, he said there were professional hitmen that did this. And he said gangbangers could not have pulled this off. It takes police radios. It takes all kinds of sophistication. But what's so sorry to interrupt, John? I mean, what's what would be so complicated about pulling up alongside a car and, and spraying some bullets? Because I mean, from the 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 sort of um, reports of the autopsy reports, things like that, I think he took a few bullets in the legs uh, and things like that, and two in the chest. It seemed like it was a kind of very you know sporadic popping off. Uh, I'm not well, a gun expert, you might imagine. Yeah, well, Russell Poole is a high level, you know, was a high level, you know, police detective. Um, in Los Angeles, who studied loads of you know these kinds of situations, and that, so I just take his word about the fact of the way it was needed to be pulled off. Um, Biggie Small's you know FBI file even talked about this, and and other police officers who were investigating uh, also agreed that they believed it was a you know professional hit. But nonetheless, um, it's also the fact that they that the Las Vegas Police Department, according to um, award-winning Las Vegas police reporter Kathy Scott. She said that 
Las Vegas Police Department went, went against all of their normal procedures for investigating the situation. And, you know, they completely let off these people that killed Tupac. And so why did they do that? You know, and you know, why did they help cover it up? Russell Poole said he talked to the, um, you know, uh, the lead investigator in Las Vegas. And he joked that, well, we got, we got a closet full of evidence, but no one's ever going to see it. And uh, so he said they were covering it up and uh, he didn't know why. Russell Poole didn't know why. And um, Kathy Scott also said that a police, uh, an FBI agent was in uh, Tupac's uh, motorcade when he was killed and was, was watching, was surveilling the situation. Why? You know? Um, so these are all, you know, loads of more evidence that this was a U.S. intelligence operation. It was not a random, you know, shooting and not a random, you know, murder of Tupac. It was an assassination of a, of a highly influential, you know, activist young man who was, you know, incredibly talented too, obviously. I mean, maybe just take a moment to explain why he pose such a threat because a lot of people won't be familiar with his activist background a lot of people would have seen him as a you know just a highly successful uh, yeah. musician why why would it become necessary what how would they benefit from removing uh tupac from the uh, the playing field again so when when he was getting gang members like for example the blood the uh latin kings king uh kings were like the biggest uh, gang in uh new york city they were a Lat latino gang and uh, they were influenced by the Young Lords who were close with the Black Panthers. They were influenced by former Young Lords to follow in, in this movement, this gang peace truce movement and turn on to activism. And they gave up all, all drug dealing. And um, when they were arrested on mass at one point around 1995 or I believe it was around 1996 or seven, um, there were no drugs found on them. Okay. And, um, so they were so when you take uh, three thousand, you know, members of a gang who were all you know mostly drug dealing, and you take all those drugs off the street, and this is just one gang of many throughout the country that were drug dealing. That money was being laundered in the banks, and the United Nations, uh, you know, analysts have, have talked about this that the hundreds of billions of dollars uh, have been found to be laundered in many major banks. You know, HSBC, which you know, you know, in Britain, J.P. Morgan Chase, etc., they've admitted to it. Um, loads of, of money are laundered, and that laundered money, you know, is it's a huge uh, cost when it's taken off the streets when you're not laundering that money anymore. Um, the CIA has been caught drug trafficking um, in a major way. Sixty Minutes, our international program that has, has covered a lot of this, they've, they've told about tankers being caught with a ton of cocaine. Um, as you know, in the 1990s, um, CIA has been drug trafficking for for decades, and you know they were caught again in you know in the 2000s, and this is this is the way things have happened. Um, and so when you get all those all that drug dealing off the street, you you really affect the the money of these drug traffickers and the CIA, and the money uh, that's made from laundering it in the banks and the uh, you know, corporations that are part of the stock market that also laundered a lot of this drug money. Well, billions uh, of dollars being affected. The psychedelic fascists asked, did the Las Vegas police not investigate because of government improvements to the public infrastructure in Las Vegas? That's another claim I'm not aware of. 
No, the Las Vegas police didn't didn't investigate because they're because the way U.S. intelligence works is you've got the highest levels of CIA who are the head of the CIA is uh, supervises you know all their uh, fourteen plus intelligence directors, and then you got you know one of those intelligence agencies under the CIA is the FBI, and then the FBI uh, overlaps local police intelligence units. So Las Vegas would have had a police intelligence unit. Los, An- Los Angeles has a much bigger police intelligence unit, as does New York City. And New York City and Los Angeles police intelligence units, it was found by the Miami Herald. Um, you know, uh, first thing it was found in, in, in uh, Labyrinth, in, in the book Labyrinth, that, you know, there was a New York City police officer investigating Biggie Smalls' murder who was, took pictures of Biggie when he died, who also was a member of the FBI. Okay. And, um, and this also came out in uh, Biggie and Tupac. Um, he, uh, his name was Detective Oldham. John, I'm afraid we've just run out of time. We managed to open a whole can of worms with a minute to go. So, I mean, maybe with the few seconds left, you could just let people know where they can find your book and, and the rest sure. of your work. Sure. So uh, go to johnpodash.com, J-O-H-N-P-O-T-A-S-H.com, and you can uh, find you know, the books and films, Drugs as Weapons Against Us, and the FBI War on Tupac Shakur, um, State Repression of Black Leaders. Drugs and Weapons Against Us covers other musicians such as John Lennon, Kurt Cobain, and Jimi Hendrix, as well as the Kennedys and others. Um, and, um, you know, so I hope people you know, read more and see the uh, sources for this information. Thank Thanks you very for much me. for speaking to us. I've, I've learned a lot. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks a lot, Steve. Thanks for having me on. Take care.